If I see anyone say the word passion, I immediately want to like throw the essay out the window. Like, how can you be passionate about something you've never done before? You are interviewing for CRNA school, or you are hoping to be interviewing for CRNA school sometime in the not so distant future. My name is Anna. I am a second year student registered nurse anesthetist. I was a travel nurse for about two years and I was a staff nurse in the CVCU at Johns Hopkins. I run a nurse education business with my business partner. My name is Christy. I am a CRNA for six years. Before that, I was also a CVICU nurse. I also precept students and have been a clinical coordinator for students at both of the facilities that I've worked at in the past. Well, I guess I'm not a clinical coordinator currently at my new job, but I might be soon. We've co-founded Confident Care Academy. So here we provide this podcast for lots of free information to help you along your journey from nursing school through CRNA school, if that is the path you choose to go down. We also have a program called the Confident Care Academy membership, where we provide in-depth pathophysiology and pharmacology lectures, plus a discussion board and live sessions for wraparound support for people who are critical care nurses, hoping to become critical care nurses soon, as well as future CRNAs. We actually have a lot of people using the program right now for interview preparation, as well as supplemental material during CRNA school. So if you guys are along your journey today, which I'm assuming you are, if you're watching this episode, definitely check us out there. We'll have the link in the description below as well as on our landing page, but let's get into the topic today. How else are you going to prepare for your interview? I really think that leads into the very first question, which is when should people start preparing for CRNA school interviews? How often do you and I get direct messages on Instagram for people at the twilight hour wanting to book a mock interview only to find out that we don't provide mock interview services. We don't do one-on-one coaching because all of our free time goes into writing the lectures for our members, as well as the podcast episodes here where we give you guys free information. So (laughs) You guys can't be booking your mock interviews or thinking about interview prep when your interview is two weeks away. You really should start preparing for interviews. I personally think at the time that you start applying, what is your take on that? I would say even earlier. Okay. No, I love it. (laughs) Even, even, even earlier. So this is something that we keep referring back to all the time, which is the very first step of getting into CRNA school is choosing your target programs and also learning a lot about your target schools. As you are doing that, which you can begin while you are still in nursing school, you should be researching the profession and you should be collecting experiences and stories to tell in your interview. So I would argue that I started preparing for CRNA school interviews while I was still in nursing school. What would you say to that, Chrissy? Okay. I know exactly what you're talking about now. We actually... (laughs) So the first product, that educational product that Anna and I ever co-hosted together was actually a focus group. We ran a webinar where we dove into a four part lecture series once a week on like a group zoom call. And we worked through all of the different key pillars for getting into CRNA school. And one thing that Anna taught me 
that I still have not done a great job at to this day is keeping a Google drive, collecting all of your different pieces of data and information in one place in a Google drive. And it's a great piece of advice. And it's so funny because when I was applying for my new job, when I was moving, I was like, Oh my God, I wish I had that freaking Google drive. <laughs> I want to give you credit oh. where it's due, Chrissy. You do live on the Google drive and you have adapted and you have all of your information now in Google drives. I do. I, wanna, I do. I, I want to give credit where it's due. So for confident care <laughs> Academy, I've done a good job with the Google drive for my personal stuff. I only have like 50% of what I need up there. So I'm actually about to move again. This is time for me to, to dig it back up. But what Anna's talking about is going, creating a Google drive for yourself where you're collecting different little pieces of experiences. So for example, your ACLS, your BLS, BLS, put them in the Google drive, your nursing licenses, put it in the Google drive, right? If somebody gives you a letter of recommendation, put it in the Google drive. And more importantly, as you go along the way, if you have a meaningful patient experience or encounter, these are going to be things you can repurpose for storytelling in your personal statement when you're applying and also to answer questions in your interview. One of the best ways to answer an interview question is with a little story. We're not telling you to be wordy or to ramble on and on. That's a surefire way to bomb your interview if you're too wordy, but we want you to be able to succinctly capture a three to five sentence recap of a patient story or interaction that was meaningful to you that can help answer the question. Or sometimes there are stories from real life, for example, and we'll get a little bit more into that later in the episode of like what types of questions to expect. But when you have impactful experiences in nursing school and your nursing career, write them down in a little, um, you know, Google doc and save it to your drive so that you can draw on those experiences later. I'll add that a few of the patient stories that I talked about during my CRNA school interviews came from when I was in nursing school shadowing CRNAs and from when I was a surgical burn technician while I was working still in nursing school. So it's never too early to start to collect those patient care experiences and those conflict resolution skills. And it's never too early to use the Google drive. I actually have a whole YouTube video about how I recommend people set up a Google drive. Y'all are not appreciating this YouTube video enough. I will link it in the description and you will all use a Google drive by the end of this episode. I... <laughs> it is something I cannot recommend enough. So as to when you should start preparing for CRNA school interviews, as soon as you know that you're interested in becoming a CRNA, you should pick your top three to five schools or three to seven schools. You should start collecting patient experiences and then writing those down collecting that in a Google doc, having that on the Google drive. If you're a shadowing, you should write down the CRNA and the contact information of who you shadowed. You should write down the cases of what you were, um, what cases you observed when you were shadowing and you should upload any shadowing verification forms all to the Google drive. Um, the other way that you need to start preparing for your CRNA school interview ahead of time is the year before you apply to CRNA school, you should look at the tentative timeline that that program uses, and then you should, um, book a mock interview about a month in advance of when the, that program typically offers their interview. You don't want to be waiting until the last second. You want to book your mock interview one to two months in advance of when that first interview is going to come up, which really leads us into emotional intelligence questions. 
Emotional intelligence questions are so important because they're going to come up in every single interview you encounter for the rest of your life. Whether it's applying to graduate school or getting your first job, this is a surefire way to nail an interview and stand out from other applicants if you've prepared for it well. Emotional intelligence questions are seeking to filter out things like conflict resolution skills, your ability to work as a team, your ability to have insight into your own strengths and weaknesses, as well as your pattern of behavioral history, how you've acted in certain scenarios, because it's the best way to indicate how you're going to act in the future. One thing that people tend to get wrong with emotional intelligence questions is memorizing cookie cutter answers or canned answers or answers that are going to make them look good or that they think will make them look good. But this is very easy to filter out if you're somebody who conducts interviews all the time. This is especially a red flag in the CRNA space, by the way. A lot of people right now are circulating interview questions around the internet, memorizing them, and then showing up to interviews with these same verbatim regurgitated answers. And program directors are seeing right through it. So please do not do that. Um, but an emotional intelligence question goes far beyond my weakness is I'm a perfectionist, right? Like everybody thinks that one's going to make them look too good. Hard. I, I try too, too hard. Much. I care too much. Like, don't say those things. Like, come on, give us a real <laughs> weakness. I will also add that understanding of the anesthesia profession, I would categorize in this category of questions as well. So emotional intelligence and conflict resolution, and then an understanding of the profession that you are attempting to join, I would categorize within this um, variety of question. Would you agree, Chrissy? Yeah, it's definitely something that's going to come up and it's something that you should be intertwining into all of your answers. I always like to think of emotional intelligence questions as something where we don't really care what your answer is, as long as you can explain yourself and tie it in with a future behavior or a future goal or knowledge of the profession in general. So for example, what is your greatest weakness could be a common emotional intelligence question. And why do we say not to just end it with something flat? Like I'm a perfectionist. Well, first and foremost, maybe that's true and maybe you can say it, but you need to give us more. You need to give us more depth. What an interviewer would much rather hear is answering it with a short vignette that ties it into an improved future behavior. So for example, rather than saying, I'm a perfectionist, I work too hard, um, I try too hard, I care too much, you might give an example of a time in the past where you say, in the past, because I've been a perfectionist and extremely hard on myself, I struggled with feelings of self-worth and performance when I was a new graduate nurse in the ICU. When I received feedback, I took it to heart too harshly. I had a hard time overcoming criticism. And what I learned from that experience, now we're going to spin it, right? We're going to spin it and like kind of turn it into a positive as well as like a new behavioral change. What I learned from that experience was that it's not helpful to patient care to not be receptive to criticism and that I had to overcome that personal barrier. So I read books on how to receive criticism, sought the feedback from mentors and really worked on that skill set within myself. Now, when I receive criticism or have a failure in a clinical space, I seek to immediately 
look within, change with corrective action, and you can give a specific example of a time you did that. And then you could go on to say something like, and I know that this is really important as a CRNA because when I'm in school, I'm going to be constantly receiving feedback from preceptors and learning a new skill set all over again. So I've really worked on becoming flexible and adaptable and receptive to this type of feedback. That might be a better way to answer the question than just, I'm a perfectionist, right? Yeah. Two, I completely agree, Chrissy. And then to summarize for anybody who's out there taking notes, uh, our tips about the how to answer the weakness question or tell us about a time that you struggled with something or tell us about your greatest weakness is to give a tangible example of something that you used to struggle with and then tell a story that optimally ties in characteristics of your personality that shows what steps you chose to fix it with an arc of development. So a very simple way that you could do this would be I struggled as a new travel nurse to transition from working solely with Epic and with all of the providers that I was used to working with. And then I was working with Meditech, I was working with Cerner, and I struggled with that new technology. So I found in myself that I want to be somebody who was able to be adaptable. So I went and I watched a lot of YouTube videos and I played in the Epic Playground or the Cerner Playground to familiarize myself with the new policies and procedures on how to use new technology. And I've now carried that with me so that I can approach learning new techniques and new technology. And I want to be somebody who is adaptable and who is always staying up to date with new technology because I know that I'm going to encounter that in the anesthesia profession. That's something that's really inconsequential, but it shows that arc that they're looking for of, I struggled with this. So I did this. And then now I'm tying it to my understanding of the struggles that I'm going to face as a student registered nurse anesthetist, but I'm ready for that. That communicated those three things sequentially in a row. So you also don't have to be incredibly self-deprecating. These interview panelists are not your therapist. They don't necessarily care <laughs> about your deepest, darkest, you know insecurities of yourself. What they want to hear is that you're somebody who's going to receive feedback and that you're somebody who is going to be a good learner. I think that phrasing as many of these emotional intelligence questions with the catering to what they want to hear in mind is something that will be likely very helpful for you. What do they want to hear? They don't want to hear that you're insecure and that you don't trust yourself. They want to hear that you're somebody who is adaptable and is a good learner. So how do you paint yourself in that light? That would be a tip that I would have on the weakness question. Absolutely. I, you know, similarly, I recently had a CRNA interview. I got a new job last year and the question was brought up. Talk about a recent mistake you made. And I was kind of taken aback because for a lot of CRNA interviews for um, other jobs that I looked at in the past, I really didn't have these type of typical interview questions. So I really didn't spend time preparing, which maybe was like a little naive of me, but you know, we have done like interviews in the past. This is something I talk about all the time. So I was very frank and honest about a recent mistake I did have. I was in a case and I had a patient who had a ultrasound guided 16 gauge IV in their forearm, kind of like just below the antecubular area, just distal to it. And it's something for people who are experienced nurses all know is that especially if a patient has a lot of 
excessive tissue there, um, whether it because like they're older and like the skin is just not as taut as it used to be. Sometimes it can hide, um, and infiltrate really well, especially the ultrasound guided IVs, they're deeper. And that area, especially for patients that have a lot of tissue, it can really accumulate a lot of fluid and the IV can still run well and flush well before you recognize and infiltrate. So we, um, you know, flush the IV it appears as though it's working. The patient said it hurt a little bit. Then they said it stopped hurting. And then we were able to induce anesthesia through this IV and put the patient to sleep through it. So we thought it was working. Well, it must've been like partially infiltrated. It must've been just like poking a little hole in the vein or something to that effect, because we also had to have the blood pressure cuff on that arm. All throughout the procedure, I kept checking on the IV, but of course, patients in the operating room are under the drapes. And what do you know, towards the end of the case, we look and thank God we started a second IV, by the way, and we were running our infusions through the new IV, but I still had, um, lactated ringers, um, a crystalloid solution going through this, the 16 gauge. And the arm was just like totally a giant balloon of like infiltrated lactated ringers. Like I probably had like a couple hundred mLs of volume now like accumulated in this space. And it was, it was wild because, you know, two mistakes on my end. One, I didn't trust my gut. I was suspicious of the IV in the first place. And two, even though I had continued checking, you know, if I was unsure about this IV, maybe instead of putting the blood pressure cuff on the same arm, I should have put the blood pressure cuff on the leg. That excessive pressure and buildup every time the cuff went off is probably what caused the vein to finally blow and cause our final issue. So that's kind of like how I rounded out the story. I said, you know, I should have moved the cuff to the leg instead of the arm. I should have trusted my gut. And in the future, I, you know, instead of trying to make an IV work that like, I'm not hundred percent sure of, I'll just be more proactive about just replacing it. And they loved it. They were like, wow, that's a great example. Like you gave me right away. And I, I got the feedback on the spot. I love that you gave me right away an action item you could have changed and something new you'll do for your practice in the future. Even though you're a very experienced CRNA, you know, IV infiltrates happen to all of us. Um, and like recognizing the physiology of what happened and why it happened is a key insight and they loved it. And of course I got the job. So it's okay to talk about like things that are negative. It's most important to talk about the change you'll make or the change you have made or what you'll do to improve it. We really don't care what you made. When you talk about a, a, a mistake, whether it's a med error or a conflict you had, it could, the conflict could have occurred at soccer practice when you were in college, right? Like the conflict doesn't have to necessarily be like with a patient or a family member. Um, your examples can be outside of the clinical arena, but we need you to always bring it back to like what you'll improve in the future, what you'll do in the future and tying it into the attributes that we want you to have. We want someone who's going to be proactive. We want someone who's receptive to feedback and change. We want someone who's going to be a good learner. All of this circles over and over again, back to how can you communicate to your future faculty and to your future program directors that you have the character traits that they're looking for in a future applicant. And then when you can phrase all of your interview questions through the lens of the character traits that they're looking for, you're set up for success. We talked already now about the, how to address the, what is your weakness question? Chrissy told you how to address the, tell us about your mistake question. Both of those are talking about, this is what happened. This is what I will do differently in the future. They want to see that character arc. 
And then you also touched on the conflict resolution piece, which is another character trait because they want to see how you work on a team to resolve conflict. Again, story intervention, displaying your character solution. And all of that's going to tie back to taking care of patients, being receptive, um, learning all of these things. If you can phrase it through the lens of problem intervention, solution, and what I'll do in the future, golden. You don't need to talk about your deepest, darkest insecurities and fears and failures. You need to talk about here is a problem. And then here was a solution. And then here's how that will tie to how I will show up as a student in your program. I will also say, I think this leads into the next kind of big category of emotional intelligence question, which is the, why do you want to be a CRNA? And Chrissy, do you see some like wrong answers in this? Cause I see some wrong answers on the forums online all the time. <laughs> if I see anyone say the word passion, I immediately want to like throw the essay out the window. Like how can you be passionate about something you've never done before? What are you talking about? Like also <laughs> brutal, ruthless, Chrissy, ruthless. As, oh my much gosh. As, <laughs> as much as I love anesthesia, like it, you know, I spend 40 hours a week giving anesthesia and I care about my job and I feel very enthusiastic about the career path I have chosen. It's still a job, right? Like this is still a career. We still have like interests and hobbies and values and identities outside of anesthesia. So when I hear someone paint it as though it's like the life goal, the end all be all, I'm a little bit concerned that they haven't developed other avenues of their life enough to get from through the rigors of CRNA school, because it's going to challenge you. There's going to be times that it breaks you down. There's going to be times that you don't like anesthesia anymore. So you need a support system and other interests and other hobbies and other things in your identity to fall back on. That way you're not devastated at a failed exam grade. That way, you know, if you have a bad day in clinical, your world isn't rocked. You have a cushion there. That also kind of ties to, I think sometimes... ICU nurses who are in the application process think that they can wax poetic about everything that physiology pain I'm so, and physiology I'm, and I'm so passionate about they physiology poetic and they're passionate about physiology and they give really canned answers in a way that I think is it's a bit arrogant to think that faculty doesn't see right through that. Do you know what I mean? Well, and then it, it, it like grinds my gears because then the same person in the mock interview, you'd be like, explain to me how phenylephrine works. And they're like, squeeze. I'm like, I thought you said you were passionate about physiology. You told me it works. Squeeze. Like what? Squeeze. What? What are you talking about, guy? Come on. Like BFFR. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's all of the, so don't give the answer that you're passionate about pharmacology. Don't say the word passionate at all. Don't say that it's a natural extension of ICU nursing. I've seen that it's in a not, lot of application it's essays. It's not, it's, it's not, not a natural it's extension of ICU nursing. <laughs> it's very different. So that's all of the what not to do. Oh, also don't say that you're just in it for the money. That's also, don't do that. I've, I've literally seen that, by the way. People oh, are like, oh, I like the job security. Yeah. <laughs> and like flexibility with that. hours. Or like don't, the art don't. of it. Oh my God. Anyway, um, let's see. Yeah, so just, what should ugh. they do? And I want to say that as I give this feedback, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Jason Bolt, who I did a mock interview with. He's excellent. If you can book a mock interview with him, you definitely should. But 
some of the frameworks that he gave me on how to answer the why anesthesia is something that I always pass along to other people. Um, but I want to hear how Chrissy, what do you say? What's a good way to answer the why anesthesia question? I think the best way to answer why anesthesia or why CRNA is with storytelling. Most importantly, connecting it to an experience you've had with a CRNA and naming the attributes of the CRNA that you would like to emulate <laughs> in your own practice. Um, so for example, in my personal statement, I spoke about how I first experienced working with an anesthesiologist in Mexico when I was studying abroad and how we were in a public women's hospital and the patient, um, there was a patient who was very scared. She was crying before she had her tubal ligation done. And the anesthesiologist had been working with me for a few weeks and she had me crack open an ampule of midazolam and like showed me how to crack open the ampule and like draw it up in a syringe. And then she had me give this clear mystery liquid. I didn't know what it was at the time. It wasn't even a nursing school yet. And push it through the IV and give her this drug. And in the meantime, the anesthesiologist was holding her hand and speaking to her about what the plan was that was going to happen. And then she had me switch places. So after I pushed the medication, I held the patient's hand and just kind of like listened to her and said, we'd be there with her. And then the patient started thanking us. She went from shaking and crying to saying, thank you so much. I feel safe now. And then the anesthesiologist pushed the rest of the drugs and the patient drifted off to sleep. The surgery went smoothly. When we woke her up, she was again, extremely grateful in the recovery area. And that really small interaction impacted me in two ways. First and foremost, the intersection of understanding the pharmacology of the medication, the fact that uh, two mLs of this little clear liquid was able to help alleviate a patient's anxiety, but that it was also coupled with the anesthesiologist and myself, uh, providing verbal anesthesia, as I like to call it, right? Having that patient care, explaining what's going on, building the trust with the patient. And then also the anesthesiologist took that time to teach me about why the tubal ligation was so important. And it's because it had to do with reproductive access in Mexico. There are different options for reproduction. Basically at the time, I don't know if it's still true today, but back in 2011, the Mexican government would pay for people to get tubal ligations who didn't take birth control for religious reasons because most of the country is Catholic. And, you know, there's a spectrum in Catholicism about how, who takes birth control and who doesn't, not everybody will take it. So tubal ligations at the time were available in Mexico to everyone. So we had a lot of these in the public hospital. So she was able to integrate the knowledge of what was happening at a social level with her knowledge of pharmacology and pathophysiology with her ability to care for a patient holistically. And to me, that was very impactful and something that, you know, I wanted to integrate into my practice. And I continued in my essay talking about how then I encountered CRNAs in a surgery center and how they continued to emulate that same type of care with their patients for every type of procedure. And then how, you know, as an ICU nurse, that's something that I tried to emulate in my care of patients. And that's something that I wanted to bring into anesthesia. So, you know, taking care of patients at a one-on-one -on -one level so that you could provide that higher level of care as well as a more holistic approach was essentially like the gist of my personal statement and something that I revisited during my interview. Which is why it's great to start planning ahead significantly and then 
writing down all of your shadowing experiences, because you're going to want to pull from your shadowing experiences, both for your, from your personal statement and for your interviews. And I did want to give a shout out to, uh, to Jason, because he gave that feedback to me during my mock interview. I think Chrissy, you independently did this naturally already. I also had already done this within my interview, but I think it's something that's really helpful framework wise, as you're approaching the YCRNA question, you really want to pull from your shadowing experiences and then talk about the character traits and the clinical skill sets of the CRNA that you shadowed and why you want to do that in your own practice. And there's a million different ways that that could have gone down, right? Like in a trauma case, in an OB case, my case was OB. And that's what I talked about in my personal statement. I was shadowing a CRNA who was able to provide that one-on-one -on -one comfort to a person who was converting from a vaginal to an emergency section and was able to provide so much comfort and dignity in that moment and respect to the pregnant person and to her partner. That was something that I wanted to emulate in my practice. And that's, that was one of my stories for YCRNA. Do you see how that's so much more genuine than like, I'm passionate about pharmacology or, or I'm uh, I have a passion for critical care. You see how it's just so much more genuine to talk about the aspects of care in relation to what you experienced with a CRNA. What do you have to say to that, Chrissy? Absolutely. I could think of one of my favorite application essays that I reviewed, actually two of them. And again, so this ties into personal statement advice as well as interview advice. But one of them, somebody was talking about how their parents were actually refugees from Afghanistan and how, um, her mother, did not have access to labor and delivery care, like at the time that she was born and how like that led to different emergencies. And like, I'm not going to get into it because it's her story, not mine to tell. And I also don't remember every detail. It put her in a lot of danger and in danger of like losing her child's life. And thankfully everything worked out, but had she had access to anesthesia services, things would have gone differently. And so that, um, really emphasize the importance of like labor and delivery care. Um, and that's something that this nurse has like really has inspired her to learn about the anesthesia profession and got her shadowing and got her interested. And that was like a really interesting story for me to read. And then like, she did like end up shadowing CRNAs and L and D and like seeing the care they could provide and kind of tying that all in together. And another person told me a story similarly about how, um, they were taking care of a patient or they watched a CRNA take care of a patient, I should say on their shadow day who had experienced all sorts of assault and violence and trauma and how the CRNA was able to provide not only a high level of skilled care because it was a complex case and they had a lot of physical needs, but also that emotional care where they made the patient feel really safe who had undergone a lot of trauma. And that was something that they wanted to emulate. And so like all of these stories to me, I've read them or heard them such a long time ago, but I still remember them today. And I know that both of those people have really done their homework on the profession and undergone a lot of shadowing and really know what they're getting into and are really doing it for a great reason. They're going to have a really good motivation to deal with the trials and tribulations that CRNA school brings and that they're not just looking at it as like ICU 2.0, right? Or ICU on steroids. They have a good understanding of what they're getting into. And that's really what we're looking to see. I like how you brought up that these people had really done their research on the profession. So do you have any recommendations briefly on how people can look into 
the CRNA profession to become more well-versed for the interview specifically, because you will be asked questions about the politics of anesthesia. What recommendations, like briefly, do you have about somebody who is looking to become a CRNA, but doesn't know very much about the politics of anesthesia as a starting point? First and foremost, read the book, Watchful Care, A History of America's Nurse Anesthetists. That's going to give you a history on the profession, how it developed, a better understanding of who CRNAs are and what they do. Um, if you come into an interview saying you've read that, you've already stand out against 99% of candidates. That's going to give you a huge edge. I also encourage you to do more than just scroll the Reddit forums that are going to go back and forth and give you lots of misleading answers. Um, I really encourage you to attend your state anesthesia association. So, you know, every state has one, California Association of Nurse Anesthetists, Pennsylvania Association of Nurse Anesthetists, so on and so forth. Go to a state meeting, go do some networking, um, learn about the dynamics of the profession online from the ANA website and start networking, start talking to CRNAs, do more listening than speaking, and you will be far ahead of your peers. I like how you mentioned to do more listening than speaking as somebody who is an applicant and who is a learner. One phrasing piece that I have implemented as a learner myself is when speaking to people who have a broader base of knowledge than I do or more education or who are my seniors in any way when they ask me to explain something and I'm not a hundred percent, 10 toes down positive on the delivery of what I'm going to say is I'll open a piece of phrasing with my current understanding is da 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 and then leave it open to their feedback at the end of it. Um, that is a way in interviews very quickly that you can show that you have a certain level of knowledge, but you're also open to feedback and which it ties back to the character traits that they want to see. They want to see that you're teachable in CRNA school. So that's just like a little phrasing tip. And I received feedback in a couple of my mock interviews that they liked that phrasing specifically. They're like, Oh, I liked how you said that. So I thought I would pass that along to you a quick, a couple of other little politics things. Um, attend your state ANA thing, uh, uh, conference, the state level. Uh, and also I would recommend looking into the ICANN act. It is both in the Senate and the House now to get passed. And if you can talk about that in terms of the politics of anesthesia, they can see that you're very well read and you're aware of what's going on in the profession. I would also look on the AANA website and then look into opt out. Uh, one of my interviews, I was even asked about the scope of practice of AAs, anesthesiology assistants. So you just want to really demonstrate that you've done your research about what the profession is, because as soon as you're in, you are surrounded by your future colleagues. It's a really small world. It's what, 60,000 CRNAs total? Something like that, Chrissy? Like yeah, 55,000, like, 60,000? I think it's like 70,000 total or 72,000, but like 60,000 who are like actively practicing, practicing something like that. And it's such a small world. Like, <laughs> and they want to welcome you and they want to support you as a learner. Uh, but if you can demonstrate from the very beginning that it's something you're passionate about and you're willing to do the reading, they're going to support you every step of the way. When you're narrowing down your schools, uh, we have a whole lecture on this in, this in the CCA membership, by the way, the school selection episode is so key, but go to coacrna.org, go to allcrnaschools.com and start to filter out like, where are the schools? How much do they cost? What kind of numbers do these students get? And then start to attend open houses at places that you might be interested in and learn more about the program from faculty and typically current students or alumni will be there as well. And you could just gain a better understanding of what the program looks like and how it will suit your needs. Research your faculty. 
these people are in charge of your education for the next three years. And in kind of like we were talking about the last point, it's a super small world. So odds are at least one of your faculty members is involved at your state level AANA association or wrote one of the textbooks that you're going to be studying. That would be something that would look good if you're interviewing, you know, like if you're interviewing at Cal State Fullerton, Dr. Sass Elisha wrote one of the textbooks, like that would be a good thing to know. What's the very first tip that you have, Chrissy, for how to prepare for these clinical questions that they're going to ask you for CRNA school interviews? So everything is fair game. Most schools will ask you what type of ICU you work in and tailor their interview questions to patient populations that you see and continue to ask questions based on the answers you give them. That being said, that's not the only thing you might come across. Technically, anything on the CCRN is in fact also fair game. So don't limit your studying to only your patient population if you're a neuro ICU nurse, for example. But, you know, odds are if you come from a neuro ICU, you're going to get the majority of your questions based on the neuro ICU. They're going to start by asking you, like, tell us about a typical patient or tell us the sickest patient you've ever had. And anything you mention in that answer, any drug you mention, any device you mention, any disease that they have, expect to be able to recite the pathophysiology of that disease as well as the pharmacology of any drug that comes up down to the receptor site level. Okay. So everything is fair game. I would add here that just a word of caution perhaps is that I would not recommend rattling everything off about your sickest patient you've ever seen, unless you can truly recite down to the cellular level, all of the pathophysiology that's happening and all of the pharmacology that you're utilizing for the sickest patient you've ever seen. I would just avoid getting yourself in a wormhole that you can't necessarily back your way out of. An example is I was a cardiac surgery ICU nurse. I didn't talk about the patient who was VAV ECMO with CVVH with, you know, who we were massively transfusing because that I would have walked myself into a corner. I talked about a cabbage patient and a sepsis patient because I knew that I would be able to answer those questions in a way that would present myself in the light that I wanted to present myself for those interviews. So that's just kind of a word of caution. I think sometimes fellow ICU nurses, we will sometimes flex on each other. Like, Oh, I had the sickest LVAD patient. They were bleeding. We were giving all these fluid boluses. Da, 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 da. I think it's really important to approach all of these interviews with this, these faculty members with the approach that they might be your future coworkers and they might be your future faculty. So be warm, but also approach with apprehension because they know a lot more than you about everything. And I think approaching with that aspect of warmth, but humility is going to serve you very well. So that's just a, a word of advice from me is that I would not pick the sickest patient that you've ever seen. I would pick a sick patient that you can talk about and you're very familiar with the pathophysiology. Definitely. Also, no, um, you know, common devices on your unit, even if you're not going to mention it or currently care for that patient, um, because I worked on a CVICU, I was asked about balloon pumps. And I thought that was kind of funny because the person who was interviewing me used to work on that same unit. And she knew extremely well that I probably had not taken balloon pump patients yet. Now, at the point that I was on that unit, I had actually just taken the balloon pump class. And I probably had like one balloon pump patient myself at that point. So I certainly was not an expert on the subject, but I was able to demonstrate in my answer that I understood how balloon pumps worked 
and that I had done some additional reading on my own. And I brought up the fact that, you know, it's really important to assess for pulses in balloon pump patients, especially in the left arm, because the balloon pump can actually migrate and occlude the left subclavian vein and patients can lose perfusion to their arm. So I mentioned that even though I had only had one balloon pump patient on my own since orientation, and I had just taken the balloon pump class, like that was something she was looking to see. Also know your hemodynamic waveforms. So even if you're on a narrow ICU and you don't have swans all the time, um, it's going to be important that you understand how the CVP waveform works. So anything on the CCRN is fair game. Any drug you mention, please understand how levofed works. Know that it's also called norepinephrine. Know how all the alpha and beta receptors work. Know that it's a first line medication for sepsis all of those things. Um, again, in the Confident Care Academy membership, not only do we go into each of those common vasoactive infusions in their own individual lectures, we also have a lecture that's a review of the sympathetic nervous system and the common receptor sites that the common adrenergic receptor sites, I should say. And we go over like vasopressors at a bird's eye view. So we just had a few students talk about how that helped them land their interview recently. So definitely go check that out if this is you. When we created CCA, the vision was to educate and empower ICU nurses. And along the way, we found that uniquely because we're writing all of these lectures from the anesthesia textbooks, it's really the only product in the market that is written by CRNAs for ICU nurses, which then really uniquely sets y'all up to become CRNAs. Like you get that kind of in-depth content that I haven't really found anywhere else. I would definitely recommend checking out the Confident Care Academy membership specifically for the pathophysiology and the pharmacology overview. There's also those four lectures about school selection, interviewing, getting into CRNA school. Definitely check it out as a resource if anesthesia is a track that you are interested in and you see yourself interviewing either now or in the future. I will also echo what Chrissy was saying earlier about the CVP waveforms, specifically if you are like working in surgical trauma or neuro and you don't really utilize CVP waveforms that much. One thing that I think being on the outside of anesthesia, looking in as an ICU nurse is that you don't really have the perspective that anesthesia is so much about ventilation, respiratory and cardiac physiology management so you're likely going to be asked about CVP waveforms, even if you're not a cardiac nurse. That was a perspective that I didn't really have. And I didn't really understand why, when I was an applicant, why a neuro ICU nurse would be asked about a CVP waveform. But it's because it's so tied to the practice of anesthesia and hemodynamics and fluid balance. So definitely go and check out the hemodynamics lecture as well. In the Confident Care Academy membership, it's definitely going to be beneficial for everybody any applicant who was looking into taking all of this. I will say this also during the clinical question portion of your interviews, they're likely going to want to push you to a point where you don't know the answer to something. What so do you true. have to say to that, Chrissy? That will absolutely happen. Um, it's all about how you react to it, right? So it's okay to be stumped on a question in an interview, in any interview in life. It's okay to say, Things like, do you mind if I take a second to think about it? Or I guess in a clinical question, you can't really ask to come back to a question, but you know, it's okay to ask for like a few seconds to think about your answer, take a deep breath, collect your thoughts. And if you're stumped, it's okay to say, you know what? I'm not really sure. The canned answer that I think most people have been recommended to say over the years that is acceptable. A lot of people will say something like, 
you know, I'm not really sure, but I will look it up and get back to you on that. And if you are going to say that it's important that you go home and you actually look it up and you do actually email them your answer. That being said, what I prefer is for you to try to figure it out. I think that is a lot more of an above and beyond kind of out of the box thinking. And if you can show your critical thinking skills and at least come close, I think faculty will appreciate that. So you could say, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure. Do you mind if I talk my way through what I think the answer might be? I would love to hear your feedback. Um, if I'm wrong and then kind of thinking it out and you know why they like that is because that's pretty similar to the teach back kind of, I guess, pimping method of education in the clinical environment. Right. So like if you, Chrissy are asking me something about some medication or some patient pathophysiology, you don't really want to see me just be like, I don't know. You want to see me try to reason through it because you're trying to help get me there. And that can play to your advantage, even in the interview setting. Would you agree? It's not only about what your performance will look like as a CRNA student and a learner, because yes, schools want you to succeed and they want to choose students that will succeed. It's very important to them to know that you're not going to drop out. That's attrition rate is something that is looked at very closely, but they also see you as a future reflection of the school. It's really important for the school to maintain a good relationship with clinical sites. They're sending their representatives to hospitals to be trained. They need people who are adaptable, quick learners, but also receptive to feedback, polite, who are going to be honest about what they know and what they don't know. Because if you just take a wild guess and you're wrong and you're really sure about your wrong answer, that's a really dangerous clinician. I would much rather you come to me as your preceptor and say, I'm not totally sure about this. What do you think is the best course of action? That's going to allow us to together form a safe plan of care for the patient. than someone who doubles down on being down the wrong pathway, it's not going to make you look smarter. It's going to make you look dangerous. So remember everything you do in this interview is a representation of how you're going to look at the clinical site and the school's future relationship with these hospitals, which affects all of their future learners. So this is really a key portion of interviews, having that self-awareness. Which circles back once again to how do I display to these program directors that I have the character traits that they are looking to fill their cohort with? And how do I present myself in that light? I think that really ties into just kind of last second day of the interview tips, which I will add, show up early. That's the very first tip that I have, especially if it's in person and you are parking somewhere and you have to find a building that you've never been to before. Make sure you give yourself enough time to do that. The worst thing, well, I think the worst thing that you could do is answer a question incorrectly and confidently, but another follow-up would be being late to your CRNA school interview. So give yourself enough time. Definitely. Um, you know, public transportation issues happen. Give yourself more time than you think. Similar to all of the other advice that we give for test taking, like don't overdo the caffeine, don't chew gum, dress professionally. So don't wear scrubs, nice pants, a button down shirt. Look the role. I mean, I would say suit. It kind of shows that you take the, you take it seriously, you know, like it's, you're trying to, it's all about the perception that you're trying to give to the faculty. And does it have to be a suit suit? It doesn't have to be That's a tuxedo. What I mean. It doesn't have to be but a suit are. suit. Yeah, a blazer's yeah. nice. <laughs> like a blast is nice. Like yeah, yeah, professional. Yeah. Everything that you can do to demonstrate that you take the opportunity to be there seriously is going to work in your favor. And then other than that, 
you do want to purchase a mock interview. You want to practice your body language. You want to practice your delivery. You want to practice your pacing. Body language is big, both in person and via Zoom. So if you are expecting to have both, I would practice both ways. Practice doing a Zoom interview and practice doing an in-person interview. Video yourself and watch it back and give yourself feedback and then also get feedback from others, whether it's paid or unpaid. You want to practice and you want to take it seriously. Absolutely. And if you guys um, want some mock interview resources, we've already mentioned Jason Bolt. Um, we also love CRNA method. CRNA method does incredible strategy sessions. If you need more help on your application package and Synapse way, um, Chanel does a great job with both mock interviews as well as personal statement reviews. But for all of these services, all of these people book out super far ahead. So plan, plan, plan early. If you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. So set yourself up for success. Start early. It's never too early to start planning. Utilize a Google drive, spend about 50, 50 of your time preparing for emotional intelligence and pharmacology, pathophysiology questions. I got to add this guys. My favorite resource for practicing emotional intelligence questions is Anthony Stagg's YouTube channel. He has a million different behavioral interview questions, which is the same thing as emotional intelligence interview questions. But if you need help phrasing, he has some really nice generic ways and examples to answer these questions. You can take his format and apply it to your own clinical stories. So practice a bunch of those as well as the clinical questions practice early, practice often, practice out loud with a friend, and definitely book a mock interview. Good luck. We're excited to support you on your journey, and we'll see you in the next video. Comment what you would like for us to talk about next time, and definitely check out all those links in the description. This was a really dense episode, and we're excited that we can get this out for y'all, hopefully in time for your interviews this season. We will see you next time. 